From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up with a litter of failed domestic and foreign initiatives, President Biden and his Democratic congressional majority are being dogged this week with the burden of governing responsibly as government funding expires Friday at 12.01 a.m. We don't have the option of not continuing to fund the government. If we shut the government down in the middle of a pandemic, it's shame on all of us. It would be inexcusable, irresponsible, and it simply cannot happen. Well, I thought government actually shut down about a year and a half ago with uh, the pandemic. Well, that was Michigan uh, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell earlier today on MSNBC. In addition to the potential shutting down of government, which the Senate is voting on as we speak, the government has also reached its cap on how much money they can borrow over $28 trillion. It's going to be an interesting, intense, and potentially costly week for taxpayers. Kansas Congressman Ron Estes joins me with more in just a moment. And a leaked memo from Coast Guard leadership instructs chaplains to grill service members over their religious beliefs if they are seeking a religious exemption from the vaccine mandate. Is this a constitutional violation of service members' rights? What can members of the military do to protect their essential freedoms? Mike Berry, General Counsel for First Liberty, is here to discuss this matter. Beyond the gross violation of personal freedoms and rights, should Americans be concerned about the men and women being forced out of our nation's military by the leftist policies of the Biden administration? What does a reduction in retention and recruitment mean to national security? Our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin joins me for that conversation. At FRC's, Ariel Del Turco was a part of the March for Martyrs this past weekend here in Washington. She stops by the studio a little later to tell us about the march, its purpose, and what it accomplished. And you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. Last week, a mother at a school board meeting in Fairfax, Virginia, read from one of the sexually perverted books, which was checked out from a school library. Now, she read it at the school board meeting, and she was shut down by the board chairman. Why? Get this. There were children present. We'll get more from FRC's Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. As always, if you miss any of today's program, you can find it all later at TonyPerkins.com. Also, you can find my daily Bible commentaries there at TonyPerkins.com if you're a part of our two-year journey through the Bible. And uh, let me also encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. That way you not only can be alerted to when Washington Watch is coming on, but you'll have activism at your fingertips. It'll help you know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Again, download the Stand Firm app. Also, coming up October the 6th through the 8th, FRC and FRC Action will be hosting the inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Simply go to prayvotestand.org to sign up for this exciting event. All right, as I mentioned, coming up uh, this week, a lot of activity on uh, Capitol Hill, primarily surrounding the issue of money. The Senate discussion of the debt ceiling is underway as a government shutdown looms. And in the next 30 minutes, the Senate is scheduled to take a procedural vote on a House-passed measure to both continue funding the government through December 3rd and suspend the limit on the amount of debt the U.S. can amass into December 2022. 
The measure is expected to fail in the Senate due to GOP opposition. So what's ahead? Well, joining me now to talk more about this is Congressman Ron Estes. He is a member of the House Committee on Ways and Means, and he represents the 4th Congressional District of Kansas. Congressman Estes, welcome back to the program. Well, great. Thank you. So uh, big week on Capitol Hill for the Democrats. A lot of Joe Biden's big plans, $3.5 trillion in human infrastructure, $1.5 trillion in uh, uh, real infrastructure, kind of hangs in the balances of what they can accomplish this week, does it not? Yeah, it really is. They're trying to see how much money they can spend in so many different ways. And and uh, we, we need to make sure that we really are, are calling and describing what they're really talking about. I mean, this this $3.5 trillion in extra spending uh, actually is now up to $4.3 trillion because six of the 13 committees uh, decided they wanted to spend more than what they were allowed to. And the uh, the $1.2 trillion in what's being called infrastructure that came out of the Senate, uh, basically, that was double what had been proposed out of the House Democrats, which obviously had had more uh, infrastructure. Now, we, we do have to do infrastructure. Uh, we It's important for us as a country. We, we've got to work on roads and bridges and waterways, but we just don't we don't need to be throwing so much money around. And uh, that that's being done right now. One of the things they're waiting on right now, they're having trouble getting, uh, figuring out how to get the votes to pass that, primarily because more people want spending more even than what's in those bills already. Yeah, the trouble they're having in getting the votes is among Democrats. It's not uh, Republicans because Republicans are opposed to this, uh, these huge spending bills. Now, uh, Congressman, this is on top of normal spending, is it not? Exactly. I mean, we, we already spend, you know, 4.6, 4.7 trillion dollars every year. By the time you look at uh, Social Security and, and, and Medicare and, and all the expending there, which is which is more than we bring in in taxes anyway. And then you lay what there were some legitimate uh, extra spending added with covid. You know, we, we we had to have some funding a year and a half ago to to develop the vaccines through Operation Warp Speed and and uh, help have the Paycheck Protection Program so that uh, employees could be uh, connected, still connected with their employer. Uh, but now they they're just wanting to add more and more on top of the regular spending, and and it's we can't afford it. As you mentioned earlier, we're already at uh, 28 trillion dollars in debt, and just to add this on top of uh, what's already being added? Just thinking back uh, for the if we if this bill passed and they spend the what would be amount over five and a half trillion dollars, uh, they will have spent in the last eighteen months uh, more than what every American earns in one year, and so we've we've got to bring this spending in. As you pointed out, and we won't get into the details, but it, there are some very valid initiatives in the infrastructure plan, but it goes beyond the essentials, the roads, the bridges, uh, the uh, power grid, uh, actually down in the south where they're putting more of this under, underground so it's not so susceptible to the storm. Some of that makes perfect sense, and it's needed. Uh, but as you said, there's a lot more on top of this. Now, when you get to the $3.5 trillion human infrastructure, as uh, Nancy Pelosi likes to uh, to call it. Um, there's a price tag associated with this. And this is what's making some of the Democrats, some of them squeamish, because we're talking about the corporate tax rate going from 21 percent to 26.5 percent uh, for those making uh, more than five million a year. These are businesses, small businesses that employ people. And then uh, individual rates going from 37 to 39, almost 40 percent. That's just federal 
I mean, we're reaching a point where it's not going to pay people to make money, earn incomes, and create jobs. Yeah, you're, you're really right. And uh, as part of this spending, they're, they're adding those taxes that you talked about. But in reality, those taxes won't pay for all of the spending that's being included. And in the meantime, we're going to make the United States less competitive uh, the way it was before 2017 when we passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And we'll get back to the point where our tax rates are so much higher than other countries around the world that businesses will again start taking the jobs overseas and, and opening up their plants and their operations uh, outside the United States. And, and we won't have jobs for American workers. And one of the things that's really stood out in my mind since we passed the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017, there hasn't been a single company in the United States that went through the inversion process basically to uh, to rename themselves uh, as, a, as a corporation that's set up uh, outside the United States. Well, stand by. It'll be happening pretty soon, I think, if this is successful. You mentioned the price tag. I want to go, I want to play a clip of President Biden on Friday uh, doing a Q&A. Uh, he was asked about the social spending in this bill and who was going to pay for it. Play clip number two, please. We talk about price tags. The, it is zero price tag on the debt. We're paying. We're going to pay for everything we spend. So this, it's not, you know, people, understandably, well, you know, it started off at $6 trillion, now it's $3.5 trillion, now it's going, is it going to be $2.9. It's going to be zero. Zero. Congressman? Well, that's just not true. I mean, we, we had the bill go through Ways and Means Committee, and, and you, you look at uh, one, uh, in addition to starting out at $3.5 trillion, uh, it's now ballooned up to $4.3 trillion. Uh, there were about $2.1 trillion in, in tax increases tied to that. And at, at the end of the day, it's, it's not really spending to help people that really need it. You know, the, if you make $800,000 and you want to buy a Tesla, a family in California can do that and get $12,500 back. That's part of the spending that's in this bill. If you make six hundred, or if you make $500,000 and you're a family in, in a state like Oklahoma or the middle part of the country, uh, you actually can get $6,000 $6, in credits towards an Obamacare policy. So basically, they're throwing a lot of money all around the country trying to uh, justify it as it's helping low-income folks, and really, it's just spending a lot of money. Well, it's a transfer of wealth, and it's, it's putting money into the government's hands, and, you know, they take their share of it uh, before they put it back out into the economy. But Nancy Pelosi saying something very similar yesterday. She was on ABC uh, News this week with George Stephanopoulos, and this is what uh, she had to say about the spending package. Clip three, please. This will be paid for. So when some say, oh, well, what about inflation? It will be paid for. And that's the, the beauty of it, by having those in our, our economy and society who have not paid their fair share, paying their fair share. So again, the Senate and the House, those who are not in full agreement with the president's right, let's see what our value, let's not talk about numbers let's, and dollars, let's talk about values. I, I can see why they don't want to talk about dollars. <laughs> exactly. They don't want to talk about the dollars because there's so many of them in it that they're just throwing around. And, and if she thinks it's going to be paid for, then uh, why is she concerned about the debt ceiling and raising that? Uh, because you, you actually have to raise the debt ceiling to raise the money to pay for all of this spending. 
So, Congressman Estes, I know you're right in the center of this and a lot of dynamics, but what do you think is going to unfold this week? I think it's going to be a very messy week. Uh, you know, there's a couple things that we need to accomplish. One, we we really need to get uh, infrastructure bill moving forward. The, the the highway bill was traditionally called the highway bill expires. Uh, the authorization for that expires this week. So uh, it'd be great if we could pass something along those lines. I think it'd be a great idea. So let's pass the parts that we agree with. Let's let's focus on roads and bridges. Focus on waterways, broadband, electric grid, and and get that passed. The other thing that has to happen this week is is pass appropriations for next year's spending. Our fiscal year starts uh, October 1st, and right now we don't have funding to fund the government uh, starting on Friday. And all of this goes back to they've been focusing on how do we spend trillions and trillions of more dollars instead of focusing on what they really need to do, which is fund the government, make sure it operates uh, correctly and provides the services that we need and not uh, add all these extra add-ons and extra spending programs. So I think it's going to be uh, convoluted. I think we'll have some late nights trying to work through votes on getting past what we need to get past at the same time when they're trying to focus on getting this uh, uh, now $4.3 trillion and, and the $1.2 trillion infrastructure uh, passed. And, and I think it's going to be messy, messy week all, all week long. Yep. And right in the middle of it, you've got the congressional baseball game taking place. So going to be uh, be an interesting week. Congressman Ron Estes, always great to uh, talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, great. I appreciate it. It's good to be on again. All right. Congressman Ron Estes of uh, Kansas. So a lot, uh, lot happening this week. We're going to be tracking all of it right here. And when you need to uh, respond and participate, we'll let you know. Coming up next, the Coast Guard enlisting chaplains to basically rake members over the coal if they want to exert a religious exemption on the vaccine mandate. That's next. Don't go away. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's Word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. 
Register online at prevotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Remember, mark your calendars October the 6th through the 8th, the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. It's going to be in Leesburg, Virginia. There's a reason for that. We're going to be having a Cornerstone Chapel church there. To find out more how you can be a part of it, go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, the the, uh, Coast Guard, uh, a leaked memo shows that Coast Guard leadership is trying to enlist the chaplains into, well, it looks like trying to expose members who are requesting a religious exemption to expose any uh, inconsistencies in their religious beliefs. Is that a part of what the military should be doing? Well, last week, uh, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said the Defense Department will help service members. Play, uh, Play the clip Uh, Number four, please. Are those um, service members who don't get the COVID vaccine, are they facing dishonorable discharge? What I'm going to tell you is that we're going to try to help those who resist taking the vaccine, help them make the best decision. Interesting choice of words. Joining me to uh, discuss what that help might be is Mike Berry, General Counsel for First Liberty Institute, which obtained the leaked documents. First Liberty is uh, working very closely with members of the military to help them uh, defend their religious freedom as it pertains to this and many other issues. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back with you. Well, let's start with the leaked document. This is pretty explosive, if you ask me. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's nothing short of a modern-day inquisition. I mean, this is one of the worst constitutional violations I've seen, and I work at First Liberty Institute, so we deal with constitutional violations all the time. And each bullet point on this document, Tony, is worse than the next. As you go down, uh, there's probably a dozen or so of these. And let's be clear, this was produced by a U.S. Coast Guard JAG, so that's a military attorney who works for the Coast Guard, uh, a uniformed attorney, and this was apparently distributed for use by chaplains. Now, the Navy is the, the, the entity that provides chaplains for the Coast Guards, just like they do for the Marine Corps. And uh, this memo was to be used as a guidance memo 
for those chaplains when they conduct interviews for members who are seeking a religious accommodation from the vaccine mandate. And I mean, as I said, each one of these gets worse than the next, and I'm sure we're, we're probably going to get into what some of these questions, uh, this Inquisition memo uh, was, was wanting chaplains to ask. Well, let me just start with they are telling the chaplains to make notes of the responses or any discrepancies in the statements made uh, by the service members. So here's my, uh, before we get into the subject matter, Mike, my, look, I've, I've been in the military, you've been in the military, um, and chaplains perform a role where there is a confidentiality, where members feel free that they can go and express themselves. My concern here is if the chaplains are kind of weaponized for the administration to force this vaccine, that undermines their role in the military. I'm so glad you brought that up, because that's a point I think a lot of people are missing here, is just as you said, the weaponization of our chaplain corps and our chaplains. They're putting our chaplains in the untenable, and I would even argue the unconstitutional position of essentially being the religious spokesperson for the government. And using these chaplains to try to uh, uh, cajole and coerce service members to make decisions that these service members don't want to make. And when they look at the chaplain, they see them as what they are, right? They are a representative of a religious organization. They are clergy, right? They're ordained ministers in many or most instances. And so they're looked upon as having a position of religious leadership. And when the chaplain says, well, you know, look, if you have a religious objection, I mean, I'm a chaplain and, and I got the vaccine. I don't have a problem with it, so I don't know what your deal is. Uh, that's very coercive, right? That puts a lot of pressure on the service member. Now, to be clear, most of the chaplains I've talked to, uh, they don't want any part of this, right? Right. But there are going to be some that take this document and say, oh, wow, you know, I've been given free reign to, to sort of, you know, dictate to service members what their religious beliefs should be and which ones I think are appropriate and which ones are not. And, and let's let's paint a, a pretty clear picture here. We're talking mostly about young men and women, you know, 18 to the mid-20s, um, that are going to meet with a chaplain who in most cases is going to be older, uh, more educated, especially on the tenets of the faith. And here's one of the questions. Uh, the the uh, chaplains are asked, are told to ask the member, um, you know, what the, the tenets of their faith is and how they put those tenets to work in their life on a daily basis and what their denomination says about this uh, vaccine and the mandate. I mean, that's not a part of exercising religious freedom. Right. And then, and then on that particular bullet point, Tony, the chaplains are then given uh, a table. It's referenced as Table 1. And it's a list of quotations, select quotations by certain religious leaders from certain denominations or, or religious faith groups. And the chaplain is then to take those religious statements and ask the service member, how do you reconcile your beliefs, right? If in, in, and they're broken down, again, by religious faith groups. So Catholicism, Protestant Christianity, like mainline Protestant Christianity, evangelical Christianity, uh, so on and so forth. And they and they're basically say the chaplain is supposed to ask the service member, which one of these groups do you belong to? And if the service member says, well, I am a, you know, an evangelical Christian, and the, and the chaplain is supposed to say, well, what are your religious beliefs about the vaccine? And then the service member says whatever their beliefs are, 
The chaplain is then to confront them with, oh, well, here's a statement from the person that we believe is the spokesperson for evangelical Christianity, and they say the vaccine's okay. So how do you reconcile your... They're essentially telling the service member, you're not being a very good, you know, fill in the blank, Catholic, right. Protestant, evangelical. And it's just, again, it's mind blowing as right. to how unconstitutional that is. And again, remember, these are young, these are young people uh, that are, you know, some of them tended to learning life. Uh, very quickly, one last question. Is this done for anything else when this religious accommodation is asked for? Do they go to this third degree on other matters? No, I've never seen anything like this ever. I mean, I, and again, served on active duty for eight years, uh, continue to serve as a reservist, and I've never seen anything like this. It just, I, I, I can't even, there's not even words to describe how bad this is from a constitutional perspective. All right, folks can find out more at First Liberty, especially those members of the, uh, the military. Mike Barry, you're out of time. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Stick with us, folks. We're back after this with more Washington Watch. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily? but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins and uh, ran out of time in that last segment, but I just wanted to point you to the website. I know we have many, many members of the military that listen to our programs, uh, and I, I get messages from some uh, quite frequently, and especially, especially about this vaccine. In fact, I got one today, earlier today, uh, a friend whose uh, son is in the military texted me about this vaccine. I encourage you to go to First Liberty. Uh, their website there is uh, on TonyPerkins.com. You can follow the links over there, willing to help 
they are leading the way as it pertains to the military in this vaccine mandate. Now, let me anger everybody. Once again, I'm going to make this statement. I am not anti-vaccine. Uh, I think there are issues with the vaccine, uh, but my biggest issues are with the mandate. And I think if you're in a uh, depending on your health situation, the risk that you may be in, you've got to weigh the risk of the vaccine with the risk of getting uh, COVID. Uh, I've had COVID, I have natural immunity. And this is one of the issues I want to talk about, is the, the White House, uh, through the Office of Management and Budget, issued a statement last Tuesday strongly opposing one of the provisions that was in the Defense Authorization Act that would exempt from the COVID vaccine mandate those service members who had natural immunity. Makes perfect sense. All the studies say that actually that protection is better than the vaccine. The White House also strongly opposes a provision prohibiting adverse actions against service members who refuse to get the COVID shot. That was put in actually by uh, Congressman uh, Mark Green. The White House claims such a prohibition would detract from readiness. Oh, really? Let me tell you what's going to detract from readiness. Members who are leaving the military because of this mandate and those refusing to join because of the leftist policies of this administration. Joining me to talk more about this is our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, Executive Vice President here at the Family Research Council and a founding member of the Army's Delta Force. He spent uh, 36 and a half years in the United States Army, the last four years of his uh, career as Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. General, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. I'm glad to be with you. All right, uh, let me, let's, uh, we're talking about the, the, uh, what's, what's happening in the Coast Guard just a few moments ago with Mike Berry, who you work closely with on a number of our military coalition issues. But let's talk about uh, men and women who are getting out of the military because of this mandate or those who may not join. Is that a real fear? Is that something that's actually happening? It is happening. It's happening right now. And I can tell you that uh, I get calls, I get texts, I get emails uh, almost every day from people who are asking for help, but they are making very clear that if, if they're forced into a no-win situation, they're going to leave the military and and some of them are uh, have invested a lot of years in our military, and and I also will tell you that uh, just as you do, I talk to moms and dads across the country as I travel around to speak, and uh, there are an awful lot of families that are right now inclined to tell their son and daughter, "Do not join the military. We do not support that," and that is a uh, that's a real shame, Tony. When we've got a a population that doesn't want the offspring to serve. And a moment ago, when I was talking with Mike Berry about the chaplains, uh, you know, a lot of the younger service member going to the chaplains. But we're seeing, as you mentioned, you made reference to some who have many years in our nation's military are opting out, either retiring early, some actually leaving before they finish their 20 years because of this mandate. And, of course, this is the, really kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for many of them because it's all of the other policies that this administration has been pursuing. But let me ask you this. Given that exit from our military and, as you just pointed out, a potential problem for recruitment, are you concerned about national security and what might be around the corner if we have to go face-to-face with a country like China? I am indeed, Tony, but uh, combine what you just said about why they will leave and why they won't come in at all. 
And then add on top of that the fact that uh, we have changed uh, Donald Trump's transgender policy. And now we are letting people come into the military who are going to have to go through an extensive medical process. We're going to pay for it as American citizens. What about the readiness of our military when you know you're bringing people in that are going to be non-deployables for at least a year? This is a hoax. This is not about the vaccine. It's not about the, the virus itself. This is about control. It is about establishing control over our whole country. And you start with the military, because if you can bring the military in line, you can make the military compliant, the rest sort of falls into place. And that's what this is about. I tell you, Tony, I, as I told you earlier today, I hope this winds up in the Supreme Court, because I do not see how this can stand. Yeah. You know what? I think you're absolutely right. And if they want to prove you wrong, if the Biden administration wants to prove you wrong, then they ought to sit down and have a conversation about what's in the NDAA, recognizing natural immunity and not forcing those men and women to get the vaccine if they have natural immunity. That would be a place to start. That's not the end of the conversation. But until they're willing to have that conversation, I think they have a hard time proving what you just said being wrong. General, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always great to talk with you. Yeah, good to be with you, Tony. And, thanks. And, and your hair needs to be combed. It's a little out of place there. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You can borrow my comb uh, when you get into one? Which one were you referring to? <laughs> All right, folks, stick with us. We got uh, more Washington Watch to, uh, to come on the other side of the break. The March for the Martyrs took place here in Washington this weekend. Ariel DeTurco was there for uh, FRC. We're going to talk about the purpose of the march, what it accomplished. And then you won't believe what's been happening here in the schools in uh, Fairfax County. Well, you probably will. But this is an outrageous example. Uh, Meg Kilgannon is here with it. Don't go, don't go away. We're back with more after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. 
These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, mark your calendars. October 6th through the 8th is the 1st. Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. It'll be at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, which is kind of the epicenter of the battle over education and the indoctrination that's taking place in the classrooms. In fact, we're going to talk more about that in just a moment uh, with Meg Kilgannon. But first, I want to talk about an event that took place uh, over the weekend. Hundreds of Christians converged on Washington, D.C. to stand in solidarity with persecuted Christians around the world. It started with a rally on the National Mall and then a march to the White House and ended at uh, J.W. Marriott Hotel, the night for the martyrs, at which uh, FRC's Bob Fu and uh, Ariel Del Turco both spoke and were participants. Uh, Gia Chacon was the founder of For the Martyrs, the March for the Martyrs, said the uh, march sent a message to the world on behalf of the persecuted. This is what she had to say. If we're going to see a, a revival of the... I have been cur- charged with the question, who will be their voice? Today, with one resounding cry, you have been their voice. You have been their advocate, and together we have sent the message that Christian persecution will no longer be ignored, and that our brothers and sisters who are suffering are not forgotten, and the church in America will no longer sit back in silence as the church is persecuted. Well, a lot fail to, and some don't want to, acknowledge that it is Christians who are the single largest religious minority that are persecuted around the globe. Join me now to talk more about the march and its purpose and outcome, Ariel de Turco. Ariel, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to be with you. All right, so tell us a little bit uh, about uh, the program and what happened. Yeah, it was a march with hundreds of people, mostly uh, young people, um, really excited about Uh, standing in solidarity with the persecuted church. And this was really encouraging for me. I work on International Religious Freedom day in and day out. But to see people so engaged that really cared for them, the persecuted church wasn't abstract. It was personal. So talk about a lot of young people there. This is an issue that young people care about. Why? I I think... um, 
young people are drawn to these, to uh, social justice causes, these uh, causes that seem larger than life. And it's important for... Um, It's important because these people, it's easy to feel disconnected. Yeah, yeah. But we're not disconnected because we're the body of Christ. Do, do you think, Ariel, that this helps young people as they see what is happening? I mean, we see the, what was unfolding in Afghanistan yeah. as a result of the, uh, the Biden administration and that uh, debacle of pulling out. That's just one example. I mean, we see more and more of the persecution in China. Of course, a lot of talk about the Uyghurs, but when we talk about, all, you know, Christians are included in the persecution there. Do do young people begin to connect the dots that this religious freedom persecution could come here to the United States if we're not careful? Are they seeing that yet? I think so. I think COVID really brought that home. When they themselves could not go to church, when they were told by the government what they could do in church, they had to wear a mask, they had to be socially distant. I mean, the government was really directly interfering with um, something that's talked about in Scripture, gathering together, worshiping the Lord. I think that brought it home for a lot of people that persecution, it isn't abstract. It could happen here. And I think that really connected people with the persecuted church around the world, and that's important. uh, Do you see a similar movement of young people like we do on the life issue? I mean, young people really connect and understand the the sanctity of human life. They might get there uh, through a different route, uh, but they're still moved by it. They're engaged by it. Do, Do you begin to, are you beginning to see the same energy and commitment to this issue of religious persecution? This issue for sure needs to catch up, but I think this is a beginning. I mean, we're seeing young people, a young organization, passionate about people around the world. And it's a historically ignored issue, especially for the scale of the problem. Open Doors estimates that uh, 340 million Christians live in places that experience high persecution, and 13 Christians are dying every day. Yet we barely hear anything about this, uh, certainly in the mainstream media, but even in Christian circles, in, even in churches, it's largely ignored. So to see young people coming out, um, even though it's ignored, that's powerful. Now, Ariel, you work, as you said, day in and day out on this issue here at the Family Research Council in our center, in our uh, center for uh, religious freedom. So, what do, what does the church need to be doing here? How do we better support those abroad that are the the target of persecution, and how do we raise the awareness of this issue? Yeah, we need to be engaged, and we need to act like this is happening because it is happening. We need to be praying in our churches, in our small groups. And what I encouraged the audience there on Saturday to do was to use the opportunities that they have every day to be a voice for the voiceless. I mean, young people have huge platforms on social media, and their friends care about what they're saying. Their friends are interested in what they're sharing on social media. So all of these things mean something. And around the world, one thing we hear from persecuted Christians is that they want to be remembered and they want to know someone's praying for them. I mean, we've heard from Andrew Brunson, someone our audience is familiar with, that knowing other people in other countries were praying for him sustained him. Knowing Christians in China, another country that experiences persecution, that was touching for him. So the persecuted church needs this message. The more we can get the message out that we actually are paying attention, that we actually do care, and that they actually are in our prayers, 
they might see that and that makes a difference. Well, that's extremely important because you're absolutely right. Those that I've talked to say, you know, I, I just feel like people forgot, forgot about me or I was afraid people yeah. would forget about me. So I think if churches will focus on uh, prayer for the persecuted and then, you know, post that on social media, let it get out there because that has a way. It's, it's, it's amazing to me, but it has a way of that information getting through the firewalls, getting through the, 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 the sensors, the filters, and it, uh, it gets to people, the word gets to them that they're not forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Ariel, before I let you go, any, uh, anything you're working on, any resources that our listeners need to know about? Yeah, well, on this topic, if our listeners want to engage themselves, we have a resource dedicated to how individuals can advance international religious freedom. They can access that at frc.org slash advancing IRF. All right, Ariel, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, stopping by today. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, uh, more information on just how crazy public education has become. Now, Stacy Langton, a mother of six in Virginia, uh, Virginia's Fairfax County, has become a viral sensation after a video of her confronting her local school board last Wednesday hit the Internet at the school board meeting. Langton read sexually explicit passages from two books that could be found in school libraries. She, they're in Fairfax County. She had learned about them after reading about a Texas school board meeting earlier in the month at which uh, pornography in schools was discussed. Now, I can't play the clip of what she actually read uh, because it is pornographic. But here's the, the kicker. As she was reading it, the chairwoman of the school board shut her down, saying, quote, there are children in the audience here. Wait a minute. This is in school board. Here's here's the clip. At Fairfax High I'm School. I'm sorry. This yes. material. There are children in the audience here. Do not Thank interrupt you. my time. Yes. Do not interrupt my time. I would like to remind everybody. I will stand here until my time is restored and my time is finished. These books are in stock and available in the libraries of Robinson, For high school Langley, students, and Annandale High School. Pornography is offensive um, to all Clark. people. It is offensive to common decency. It is the reason why the MPAA... Is our next speaker is Alex Levine. And then they took a five-minute recess to clear out the meeting. Talk about arrogance of power and not wanting to listen from the people. Joining me now to talk more about what is going on with this pushback all across the country is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. It's great to be here. So, Meg, uh, I know that uh, occasionally we'll see these go viral videos like this, uh, but this is happening across the country, is it not? It is. It is. The fact that this mom in Fairfax saw a video of a mom in Texas complaining about these books, and that's how she got the idea of checking our library here in Fairfax to see if they're available, and of course they are available, um, that shows you that the power of social media and the power of parents uh, in alternative media getting a grip on what's happening and getting actual information is having a really powerful effect on the community. Now, whether it can have a powerful effect on the sitting school board members in Fairfax County is another question, but 
at least the parents are starting to wake up. I mean, this school board has been the focus of a lot of parental attention, and they only seem to be coming, well, borrow a line from uh, Exodus, hardened in their hearts. Uh, they're not about to uh, to let the children go from the grip of their leftist agenda. No, it it the, the the process for having books approved for the library, of course, does involve community input. But when you have a school board that's made up of twelve incredibly progressive, and in some cases communist school board members, the people that they're going to select from the community are people who reflect their views. And so you're going to have people on those book approval boards who are representing the community, but who have only one way of thinking. And this is the theme that I keep harping on like a broken record. In the same way that Silicon Valley is captured by one dominant line of thinking, progressive, so is the nation's educational infrastructure. And we can see that a book like the book that that mom read Uh, on Thursday, we can see that that is wildly inappropriate for children. It's not even appropriate for adults, to be frank. And um, the fact that that's lost on some of the school board members in the room or that they would defend that this is a book that's made available for high school students and that that makes it okay is truly shocking. I mean, this is is a graphic novel in every sense of the word. It's a picture book. It's a comic book. And it has pictures. It's really disturbing. I have not read it, but I did (laughs) listen to the uncensored um, uh, account of uh, of her at the board meeting. And there I'm just going to be very candid. There's no redeeming value to that book. There's no reason for that to be not not just in a school library, but quite frankly, I don't think it should be on the shelf of any library. It's trash. It's garbage. You you should have to go onto the wrong side of town into a CD bookstore that is you know, lit up a neon at night to buy a book like that. It should not be available in common. So, Meg, uh, you, you brought up the point that uh, this is some of the things have gone viral and parents are going to check out what's in these libraries. And so these, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the curtain's been pulled back and I, I'm sure parents are going around looking. Are, are, are you concerned that some of these schools may start hiding these books or making it difficult for parents to find out what's actually on the shelves? I think they might, uh, and that will only last as long as the ability of parents to talk to their kids and get their kids to check out books in the library. I mean, if you have a good relationship with your student who's in the school, you could send them to the library for a book, and they'll come out with it. So it's it's not that's that's just a stopgap. Um, we had a situation in Fairfax several years ago where people were really upset about the book "I Am Jazz" being in the the elementary school libraries, and so. We reached an accommodation in some of the schools where that book was kept in the guidance counselor's office. And in the event that a parent in particular wanted their child to see that book, then it could be accessed through the guidance office. Now, I don't think these books that this woman was talking about uh, Thursday need to be accessed by anybody. But there are ways of making material available that is a little more controlled. I think if you have to have a book kept under lock and key that children are accessing. That probably should be a warning that really yeah, no kids should exactly. see it. So I'm going to ask you this question. Is, is there a list of uh, books like this that parents should be on the lookout for, maybe sending their kids into the library to find out if, in fact, they're there? And then, just as uh, this mother did, approach the school board. 
Well, we went over this in my publication, Concerned Parents Guide to Engaging Public Schools. I talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion offerings at the library. And there is a book by the, the a list of books from the American Library Association that's updated every year. I mean, you can just walk through the Barnes and Noble and see all kinds of uh, really questionable material that's available for children. But um, there are multiple lists out there, and we do have a link to one of the lists at www.frc.org um, on our education page. Uh, if you download that document, uh, Concerned Parents Guide to Education, you can find that information in there. So, Meg, final question. Uh, we're almost out of time. Are parents and their involvement making a difference? Yes. I think they are. I mean, here we are talking about this today. Um, we, people, people all over the country. I mean, this is, I was active in the county a few years ago, um, and I'm, I'm still active here, but this is a mom who was new to the process. She, we, you know, for all of our valiant efforts, she had not yet been reached, but for some reason, this video from Texas reached her and yeah. she just saw that and now she's engaged. I mean, that's the good news. Well, you it's, know what I, What we need, Meg, in our education studies is we need a million mama bears out yes. there all across the country that will protect their children against this onslaught of, uh, of perversion that's taking place. Meg Kilgannon, we're out of time. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank you, Tony. It's great to see you. And folks, thank you for joining us as well. I got that out. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.